Good morning, and welcome to episode 32 of the Sounds of Stonebridge podcast. I'm your host, Neil Schwartz. Today is Thursday, May 14th, and as I look outside today, it looks a little bit cloudy, so I'm guessing that uh, some people are going to be disappointed they won't be able to play golf today. What do you think, Jeff, on the weather? Uh, we've had some cancellations. I think it's a little too windy out there today. Uh, golf ball's not flying as far as it normally would uh, on lo- a lot of holes out here at Stonebridge. So uh, there's some people staying in. I think the uh, novelty of playing golf is starting to wear off slightly, and everyone's getting back into their normal routines here at Stonebridge. You know, I usually rely on Jeff. I, I run a large group on Saturday, and I usually rely on Jeff to give me his uh, weather opinion, even though I've got about 12 weather apps on my, on my phone. But, uh, Jeff, the weekend does not look good. I think we're going to be okay Saturday. Tomorrow's not looking good right now. Uh, but I think it'll hopefully be over by our 8 o'clock start time on Wednesday – or on Saturday, excuse me. Oh, good, because I, I want to play golf Saturday. Gene? Gene, welcome to the show as always. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great, and I have a really important piece of news to tell you. Go ahead. Today is Shirley Spork's birthday. Did she invent the spork, that combination fork no, and did. spoon that I uh, <laughs> used? <sometimes? laughs> no, 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 no. That's great, though. Maybe well, she should have. She can do that. She <laughs> Shirley Spork, and today's her 93rd birthday, is an American professional golfer and one of the founders of the LPGA Tour. She finished second in the 1962 LPGA Championship, worked as a teaching pro for many years, and listen to this, was Teacher of the Year in both 1959 and 1984. Think about wow. that as a teaching career. So happy happy 93rd birthday, Shirley. Hey, I was sticking like, with my like spork. Scott, you know, remember when he'd do like 100 birthdays? Yeah, kind of. I was I, I was uh, sticking with my spork story, the uh, combination fork and spoon. But fork, that's you know. good, the spork, yeah. <laughs> and today we're joined by uh, Mike May. Uh, Mike May is a, a friend of mine, someone I have known in the industry for a long time. Mike has over 25 years of experience in the sporting goods industry. He used to work for an organization called the SGMA, uh, now known as the SFIA. Um, the Sporting Goods Manufacturers Association, though, in its prime, used to put on the Super Show, which maybe was one of the greatest trade shows ever. I can I have stories from early um, Super Shows that I went to that almost defy the imagination. But uh, Mike has now become a uh, a, a freelance writer um, for golf, and he writes about sports destinations. He he critiques uh, destinations. He's an avid golfer himself. Um, he's also the father of a daughter of a uh, uh, women's uh, NCAA basketball coach, uh, Emily May, down at Barry University. Mike, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure. It's, uh, I love Stonebridge. Played there with you a few times, and uh, it's one of my favorite tracks in South Florida. Oh, we're glad to hear that. We, uh, we do love our golf course. Mike, Mike, Mike and two other colleagues of mine have been involved in a multi-year rivalry, um, and uh, we had lost, my, my team had lost every match, I think about three or four times. And finally, at Stonebridge, we won when uh, some unnamed host of the Sounds of Stonebridge podcast sunk a birdie putt from, you know, on the 18th hole to win our first match. So <laughs> what can I tell you? Mike, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and a little bit about what you're doing right now in terms of, uh, you know, with golf destinations and things like that? Well, I was uh, I was born in Ohio, raised in Indiana, but I think the um, 
the big key to my interest in golf took started in 1977. I was 15 at the time, and our family moved from southern Indiana down to um, uh, over to to England. And so my dad was English. Uh, my parents took over ownership of a small resort hotel, and I started playing golf on a Lynx golf course. And really, it was there that I began to show some interest and appreciation in what golf was. I've always been a writer, dating back to my days in junior high school. I was the editor of my, the sports editor of uh, the school newspaper. So sports and writing have always been in my background. And uh, you throw the interest of golf and voila, I've been writing about golf for really actually going back to 1983 when I went to the British Open and came back and voluntarily wrote my own sort of after event summary of that tournament. Uh, but in the last five, six years, it's gone in a totally different direction uh, in ways that I never thought possible. Wow. That, Mike, you and I have something in common. I was on my school paper too. <laughs> um, but but uh, what I understand is what you've been doing in recent years is doing a lot of things around golf destinations. Yes, I've been, to, I've yeah. been to a number of states. Uh, Alabama, I've been there five or six times playing the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. It's absolutely fantastic. It's 11 sites around the state. Spent a lot of time in Georgia playing the Georgia Golf Trail. Uh, right here in Florida, we have 53 golf courses from Key West to Pensacola, part of the Florida Historic Golf Trail. And I've written about 30-odd of those courses. But the goal is to write about all 53 in a couple more years. But I've also been up to Michigan and Indiana in recent years. Amazing destinations in northern Michigan and southern and central Indiana. Tell, tell, me, tell me what a golf trail. I, I don't think I've heard that term, golf trail. So that's like a bunch of courses? Like yes. I think the first major one was in Alabama, the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. They actually took uh, funds from the teacher's retirement system. And to make that money grow, they built golf courses that would bring in outside traffic. And that money has actually grown and it's become a, a great place for people to come to play golf in Alabama. You would never imagine the courses in Alabama that you see at the Robert Trent Jones Golf Trail. Obviously Robert Trent Jones Sr was the main guy who's the architect of those courses. And now, of course, in Georgia, they have the Georgia Golf Trail. It's about 22 courses statewide. In Florida, we have 53 courses, all municipal courses built in the 20s and 30s. Um, so if they can do it in Alabama, they're doing it in Georgia and Florida. As much to highlight the, the game of golf in those states, but also another reason to, to come to those states other than in tourism. Mike, what uh, what – golf trail down here in the Florida one, which ones are closest to us that maybe our members would know about? Actually, we have five in Palm Beach County. Uh, one is the, uh, the, the main course at the Boca Raton Resort and Club. Okay. Uh, you also have the Delray Beach Golf Club, Lake Worth Beach Golf Club, which is along the intercoastal. Babe Ruth played there in the 1920s. Uh, up in North Palm Beach, you've got the North Palm Beach uh, Golf and Country Club that Jack Nicklaus redesigned in recent years. Yeah, I love um, that one. And then also you have um, the West Palm Beach Golf Course, which is under renovation right now, but used to hold uh, a PGA Tour event back in the 50s and 60s, the uh, uh, Palm Beach Four Ball, I think they called it. And one of those years, Nicholas and Palmer won it. So five courses in Palm Beach County, four open, uh, but there's also good courses in Broward and Dade as well. You go to floridahistoricgolftrail.com and you'll find out what you've got around the state. It's kind of amazing couple uh, couple questions I was uh, before I came down to South Florida I was a golf pro near Pensacola 
and I had the opportunity of playing the Robert Trent Jones Trail. We I was part of the Dixie section, which was which encapsulated um, Alabama and then the Panhandle. So, what are your favorite golf courses on the Panhandle and in that stretch of the RTJ Trail? Which ones were your favorite? I really haven't played too much golf yet in the in the Panhandle. It's just been a geographic issue. But as far as RTJ, I'd say my favorite venues are in Hoover. You've got Ross Bridge, which they consider to be the creme to the creme and the signature course on the trail. And then probably my favorite 36-hole destination is up in the northwest part of the state at Muscle Shoals. You have the Fightin' Joe and the Schoolmaster, both overlooking the Tennessee River. There is it's probably one of the best 36-hole destinations in this country, and definitely on the trail. But there's courses in Huntsville and down south near Mobile. Uh, you've got three courses in um, Montgomery called the Senator and the Judge yep. and the Legislature. That's awesome. They say that the Judge could host a U.S. Open uh, right now. It's that good of a course. Didn't, the, didn't they have a uh, mini tour event there? They've actually had an LPGA event at the Senator, uh, which sort of has a Scottish uh, flair to it. Um, so, and also they've had a PGA Tour event at the course near Auburn. Uh, so it's, it, those courses are as good for a PGA Tour event as well as for a 30 handicapper. Just pick your right tee and you'll be fine. That's great. Mike, uh, in I know that, you know, you've played a lot of golf courses, visited a lot of places. Do you have one golf architect designer that you prefer over the other? Or, um, you know, what have you found in terms of some of the idiosyncrasies from some of the different, you know, big name designers, whether it's, you know, Pete Dye or, you know, Robert Trent Jones or some of the other big names? Yeah, I, um, I think Pete Dye is probably the one who's the most creative and imaginative. So from the point of view of, of uh, playing a course that you could never imagine. Those Pete's darn right little bunkers that he puts everywhere. Yeah, that's uh, – and I played the Pete Dye course in French Lick, which has hosted a senior PGA Tour championship, and that's on top of the uh, Hoosier National Forest. It's looking out over southern Indiana, the view. Whoops. Hoosier is absolutely spectacular. Words can't really do it justice. You just have to go there and look out. But uh, I love uh, – Donald Ross, I love the fact that he's got those false fronts. So you really go for the Ooh. middle of the green or the back of the green. Never try to, uh, you know, tease a pin that's in the front part of the green. Um, and also, Ross doesn't have too many bunkers in the front of his holes because, um, you know, the, the, the hazard is if you try to land the ball in the front, it'll come off the front and then you rolls down a hill. So I love Ross and um, – I love, uh, I love what Pete Dye's done. Um, Mike, I got a question. I mean, all these courses sound wonderful, and, and I'm like salivating thinking about getting out there and playing them. <laughs> course, right now, you know, given our situation, that it's a little challenging. But, you know, a thread I'm hearing in your conversation is really the appreciation of golf history, right? And, and being a writer, um, what books might you suggest for our listeners to, to read, to, you know, to read about the history of golf. And I, and I bet like when you're out on these trails, there's this sense of appreciating the history. What can you, what can you give us as far as things we can read now about golf history? Well, you raise an interesting point. Tennis courts are tennis courts. The only difference is really the, the surface, but golf courses, every golf course has a different story. There's something 
that makes that course stand out. And I've been able to find it pretty much every time. Um, I've actually, in the last uh, couple of years, I've written some, um, some books on uh, destinations that I've been to, uh, looking at the top 10 golf courses in Southern and Central Indiana, uh, top 10 golf courses in England's County of Cornwall, I'm now putting the finishing touches on the top 25 golf courses in the state of Indiana. Obviously, I was raised in Indiana, so I have a, a vested interest in the Hoosier State. Um, but I haven't really delved too much into um, – but there's really not a golf book that I picked up that I didn't like. So I think they're all good. Uh, so I recommend a visit to Barnes & Noble or an old bookstore or something like that. But I um, – uh, just in uh, – like in Palm Beach County – at the Lake Worth Beach Golf Club, used to be Lake Worth Golf Club, uh, there's a monument on the course to honor the dogfighters. And when I saw that, I thought of Michael Vick. I was like, what's going on here? And actually, it's, it's an honor to a group of gentlemen, all who have died, and their descendants now carry on tradition. They have a group called the Dogfighters at the Lake Worth Beach Golf Club. They have the first two tee times every Saturday morning. And they even have a logo shirt they wear and they play all sorts of competitions and they play with their Saturday handicap. So you may play well on Wednesday, but it's how you play on Saturdays and how you're judged. And so it's things like that. And up, up in Riviera a Country Club in Norman Beach, they have a, a, a little mound on the 18th fairway called Sissy's Ridge. You better hit it past Sissy's Ridge off the tee or else you're not a player. Um, so all these courses have some little nuance that, is a takeaway that makes it memorable. Mike, I know you've played a lot of golf um, in the UK, and I know you've actually done a number of these, uh, you know, similar type golf trails or destinations. I know Kent was one of the areas that you've been to. But I remember you uh, mentioning to me that um, a caddy at Royal St. George's, um, you know, told you something that, you know, you felt had always stuck with you. And uh, why don't you tell that story a little bit? Yes, I actually went to Kent, and Kent is the county – southeast of London. London is in the very southeast corner of England, but even to the, to the right of uh, southeast of, of London is Kent. So I had a chance to play Royal St. George's, which will host the Open next July. It was meant yes. to host the Open this year. But hopefully. I got postponed. Yes, hopefully. So I show up uh, June, I think it was June 13th, 2018, almost two years ago. I was told with my buddy to show up at 7.35 in the morning at the Caddy Master Shack. That's what they called it. Uh, at Royal St. George's, and I walked in and I said, good morning, gentlemen. They said, good morning, Mr. May. We've been looking forward to seeing you. It's like, feelings mutual. He said, you're going to play millionaire's golf today. And the, the temperature at, at Royal St. George's that day was like 72, winds out of the southwest at five miles an hour, blue sky. It was just perfect. And we we're going to play with caddies. And I said, millionaire's golf? What's, what's millionaire's golf? Because I don't have a million dollars on me today. He said, there'll be no one in front of you and no one behind you. And so that's the way it was. We, uh, the two of us played with caddies and uh, it was, we played in under four hours. And I can remember on the 18th tee, I played fairly well in the back nine. I was striking my driver well. And my caddy, Gary, gave me my driver. He said, Mike, you need a four to win the open. I went, got it. So I put the tee peg in the ground, took a deep breath, got that driver behind the ball. There's no mulligans at Royal St. George's. I got to get a four, a par, to be champion golfer of the year. And so I just get the top of my backswing, and it feels really good, and I just wail on it. I hit it long and straight and high, and 
probably about 260 down the fairway. I have about a six iron in, uh, pins in the back. I put the ball in the green, but it's front part of the green. I got about a 45 foot putt for uh, a three and 45 feet for, for two putt. So I, it's a left to right putt and I knock it up to about two feet and I got two feet for a four <laughs> to win the Claret Jug, to be called the champion golfer of and the year. Wow. So I look at the putt and it's like, looks pretty straight. Kind of nervous. Get behind the ball, bring it back about three inches, stroke it, rolls in the cup four. So did, did you I like felt cheer? like I felt like I, I raised my hand, I, I gave a Yahoo, and I felt like the champion golfer of the year, but you know what? There was no claret jug, but that's okay. I, 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 uh, it's a takeaway that I'll never forget. And uh, in your heart, there was a claret jug. Oh right? my word, it was amazing. You're a good storyteller. I was captivated. <laughs> <laughs> hey Jeff, I'm curious. What what is your greatest golf moment that you can you know looking back on your on your career and all that? Um, let's see. Probably when I was in junior golf, um, playing for the state am things like that. When I was playing, I lost in a playoff for the County am. And, um, there was, there was a lot of good moments just, um, you know, I was maybe a big fish in a little pond at a small town that I grew up in. So, um, you know, I was one of the better golfers in the area and playing a lot of junior golf and, you know, none of my parents, neither of my parents played golf. So going around and playing in events and, you know, winning some and losing a lot. And that was, and in high school, I played some good golf. Um, so that was fun. When I turned professional and I made my first check, that was a big, that was a big thing for me to actually get a check for playing golf. So that was cool. Um, but I have a question. I have never, I was thinking while you were talking, Mike, I was, I've never really talked to a person from Indiana before. So how is the um, <laughs> Jimmy, how is the Jimmy Chipwood um, I guess persona around Indiana with one of my favorite movies, Hoosiers. It's I probably watched that movie more than any other movie in my life. Uh, it's the absolute truth. I uh, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, thirteen thousand people. We had a gymnasium that was built in nineteen seventy that could hold nine thousand, and I've been in that gym when standing room only. Uh, the uh, the hype. Back uh, in the day, though it's still big, now it's class basketball like we have in most states. But I uh, I was at a game in Seymour, Indiana, where I lived. I remember it like it's yesterday. It was March of 1971, and it was the final of the regional, which meant had we won, we would have moved on to Evansville in the Sweet 16. And we were the heavy favorites to win this game against a team called Floyd Central, which is the alma mater of Fuzzy Zeller, though Fuzzy was not in that game that that year. I remember uh, Fuzzy Zeller. He yeah. Was so anyway, player. we're, the gym is jam packed. There's 9,000 people watching this high school basketball game in Seymour, Indiana, which most people have never heard of. And we're leading by 16 after three quarters. It's an eight minute, eight minute quarters as they are now. Well, scoring 16 points in a quarter is, is a big deal. But if you, so if you're leading by 16 after three quarters at home, you should win. Well, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, the public address announcer, I remember it vividly, goes, ladies and gentlemen, I've been told to notify you that a bomb scare has been called into the field house. Jeez. This is 1971 in Southern Indiana. 
the game has stopped for about 20 minutes while we look for a bomb. Nobody leaves. I was just going to, did anyone leave? I was just going to say that. Nobody left. And I'm, I'm nine years old. My parents are listening to the game at home on the radio. My dad gets in the car, drives up to the field house, expecting to see me by the curbside waiting for him. There's no cell phones back then. Sure. He doesn't see me. He has no idea where I am. We end up losing the game. And wow. it's and, and it's like our guys just froze, thinking they're going to die. <laughs> and uh, this is pre pre nine eleven by thirty years, and uh, but it's it's a big deal. Um, our, so so who's so who's bigger in Indiana, Jimmy Chipwood or Larry Bird? Oh gosh, I think it's a tie. It's a tie. So it's they're both living legends. Um, you know, it would live on forever in movies, and and uh, there's videotape to keep Bird alive forever. I want to yeah. thank our guest Mike May, a freelance golf writer, for coming on today. I do have though one quick thing before we uh, sign off for today. All right, guys, lightning round. What's your favorite golf movie? I'll start with you, Mike. What's your favorite? Oh, uh, I'd, I'd say the one that's. Uh, about the 19th, uh, Francis, we met winning the, the U.S. Open. The greatest uh, game ever. Greatest game. Yeah, greatest that's game ever played. That's, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's mine, too. Okay. Gene, how about you? Um, Bagger Vance? Legend of Bagger Legend Vance. Of Bagger Vance. That's Excellent. Jay Hall? Uh, I, I love the greatest game ever played, but the one I've watched the most since it came out has had to be Tin Cup. There's a rule in my house. When Tin Cup comes on, everything else stops. <laughs> doesn't matter if there's five my wife hates watching movies when that's unless it's from the beginning there could be seven minutes left and he could be hitting his third or fourth shot on the 72nd hole and we still watch it i love that movie by the way there's another rule in jeff's house that occurs during uh eagles foot philadelphia eagles football games but yes well, there we'll is. get into i also <laughs> by the way love um that movie the greatest story ever told or the greatest game ever played and um there's a line in there when the little kid that was the caddy uh says to francis we met and, you know, for all that, he, he goes, he looks at it, he says, read it, roll, read it, roll it, and hold it. I have always remembered that particular line. I kind of think about that sometimes. So, look, I want to thank everyone for today. Um, don't forget about Stonebridge to go at 561-886-6708. Gene, what are the four nights a week the club is open? I couldn't find it anywhere. Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Got it. And also, of course, you know, we're open um, in a limited way. Um, Gene was there the other night and said it was uh, really good. And awesome. uh, so hopefully more people will start to come back. Don't forget that you can listen to the Sounds of Stonebridge every day um, on our Stonebridge Facebook forum. Uh, you can listen to the current episodes and back episodes. Um, we'll be on tomorrow with uh, Kent Nemery and Financial Friday. So we're looking forward to that. So, Mike, I want to thank you again for coming on. A pleasure. Love to come back. Gene, and of course, Jeff, thanks a lot, and uh, have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.